Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zelensky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this Tuesday, June 2nd, 2015 edition of the Sheila Zelensky Show. Folks, if you didn't hear the show yesterday, I had informed listeners that since the first week of January, I simply have not received the financial support to meet my monthly requirements. So by this Friday the 5th, if I am unable to raise $7,500, I will be forced to go off the air. In other words, Friday will be my last broadcast. And again, just to explain to people again that didn't hear the broadcast yesterday, I said it had been something weighing very heavily on my heart that I was going to announce last month, but I was just trying to be faithful to see what God could do. And so I aired that yesterday and people have sent in some donations and the total of the donations is $1,470. And so if we can keep this coming and I can raise this money by the Friday, get all this airtime paid and get everything straightened out then I feel like I can continue and I'm hoping that people will continue to support me as well. Please do what you can and do not think that some amount is too small because every little bit helps. I'm doing what I believe the Lord is directing me to do and now the ball is really in the listener's court to step up to the plate, get behind me, keep me on the air. I don't know one other woman that is doing what I'm doing. So, you know, I'd like the ladies to step up as well. I know a lot of you email me and tell me I'm an inspiration as I'm boldly proclaiming the truth as a watchman, and I'm just putting my faith and trust in God. So I leave that with you. So please do what you can. Keep me in your prayers as well. I thank you very much for that. My guest today, folks, I am so excited to bring him on, and I'm so disappointed I did not get to go to Florida I'm going to get to the next one, though. My guest today is Augusto Perez, the one and only, who really needs no introduction. I believe he is one of the most anointed apostolic ministers out there, and it is such a gift and a pleasure and a joy to have him back on the program. Augusto, welcome to the program. It is a pleasure to have you back. Hey, Sheila. So good to be back with you. Well, Augusto, you are just recently back from an amazing event in Live Oak, Florida that I'm so disappointed I did not get out to personally attend, but I've heard amazing reports. Tell the listeners about this event in Live Oak, Florida. Sure, absolutely. We had a three-day event uh, on Suwannee County, Live Oak, Florida, which we called Encounter on the Suwannee, A Time with a King. And uh, we have had these conferences um, uh, throughout the country in the, in the last year or so. We've had one in the Northeast, in the Massachusetts, and we had one in Idaho. And then we had one uh, earlier this year in, uh, in Houston, where they're having all those floodings and storms. And, and now we had this one in the Southeast. So <clears throat> we had a, a really nice, 
crowd from the from Florida, from the Southeast, that we had never met before. And uh, basically, our conferences, Sheila, are uh, a, a place where we bring an encounter with the with the presence of the Almighty. Uh, the majority of the people of believers uh, today in America, especially, they don't uh, uh, they don't understand uh, the presence of the Lord because they have they have probably never been in the presence of God of, of such a, a manifest presence. Let me clarify that and quantify that. There is a difference between the abiding presence of the Lord, which we all have, everyone that is born again and has experienced Jesus Christ on a personal level, we all have the abiding presence. But there is what is called the manifest presence of the Lord, which is when his, his kabod, his glory, his presence comes down into a place, into a meeting place, and he manifests himself in a very real, tangible way to the people. And uh, many things can happen when he's there. Uh, healings take place, deliverances take place, people just get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this is basically what we are trying to do. The Lord told me last year, we have been on the wall, watchmen on the wall, warning people for many years, telling them to prepare things that are coming and so forth and so on. But last year, at the beginning of the year, the Spirit of the Lord began to deal with me about getting the people ready, that the, the warning time was basically over. And so he basically started leading me into the plan of what I should do, and that was doing conferences. We have been going to churches, different churches, you know, and all throughout and for many years preaching revivals. But in all of those places, basically, it was the whole thing was controlled by the local pastor, by the local church. So it was not bad, but it was not good. It was not the best case scenario, what, what we wanted to do. So <clears throat> these other conferences that we started doing now are basically, uh, some of them are held in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in churches, in the buildings. Uh, the pastor, you know, uh, we talked, mm, uh, like two other pastors, one in Houston and the one in Idaho. I know them. I preached there before. And so I kind of know how they operate. I know they have liberty in the spirit there. I can share whatever I have on my heart from the Lord. And I know that there, there will be no problem there. So that is the reason why I, I chose those two. Most of the churches would not uh, allow me to do what I do. Uh, would not allow me to share what I share. The word I preach is too strong. It's too meaty, it's too solid, and most of the people would uh, choke on it, and uh, so the pastors don't want that. So, uh, you know, I have very few churches, very, very few, I would say a handful, that I work with. And so, but this one here in Live Oak was really unique in the sense that we did everything for those three nights and a Saturday morning. I don't, I don't really think there was anybody from that church attending maybe one or two. Wow. And we had, the place was pretty full, uh, Sheila. I would say there was over 100 people there. They came from all over the country. And so I was very, very pleased uh, about that. The crowds seems to be, they seem to be growing. And uh, in this particular uh, conference, we, uh, we baptized on Sunday night, uh, I didn't count. Some people say I baptized between 25 and 30 oh, wow. people. On Sunday night, of course, was Pentecost Sunday. And um, the Holy Spirit fell in an incredible way. People were getting drunk in the Spirit. People were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. People, some of them were healed. Some of them were set free. There were a few deliverances, which, by the way, you know, th this deliverances. They happened uh, basically by in the presence of God. It's, it's not the other kind of deliverances, which are more time-consuming, where, you know, you have to sit with a person and you have to kind of go through, you know, the whole list, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, so forth, ask them questions, and, you, and then there has to be some inner healing. This was kind of an, a spontaneous deliverance. 
inner healing that happened just, you know, boom, like that. Some cases were, you know, were able to be completely healed. Some other cases, the ones that are, you know, the SRAs and those kinds of cases where people have uh, years of trauma, those are more difficult and require more counseling, more healing. But there were many, 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 many that received deliverance. There was a young man that was gloriously delivered, set free, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. There were two other young men from New York, the same. And I mean, it was one of those things that it was incredible. People were just, uh, they were getting drunk in the spirit. And so it was, it was a glorious event. People were just, uh, they didn't want to leave. Many people wrote to me and said, Augusto, uh, we did not want to leave. We just felt like a piece of heaven was there. We felt heaven. Wow. And uh, we just did not want to leave. And, uh, and the other thing that was present, Sheila, was there was a unity, a love, a brotherly love that was present where people genuinely and sincerely were just loving on each other, just fellowshipping with each other. There was no bickering. There was no strife. There was complete shalom, peace, and joy, and love. And uh, so, I mean, no one, no one wanted to leave. And, uh, you know, they literally had to kick us out of the church. You use the word glorious, and that's what our dear sister Jerry Hall used as a word to describe this event to me when I asked her. And who would want to leave that? Who would want to leave the presence of God. People are hungry for God. And you know, the one thing you said that boils my blood is that you yourself couldn't be even allowed to preach in most churches today. And sadly, I think, Augusto, Jesus and his apostles would get kicked out of most churches today. The most incredible, perilous times, and preachers will not preach sermons with conviction. It's for their sake, their comfort, their pleasure, not so the lost can hear the gospel. It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost that really makes the difference in the message. And these pastors love the world. And what does First John 2.15 say? If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. That's right. You know, Sheila, a lot of these men, when they started the ministry, they started right. They started hungry. They started uh, wanting to obey the Lord. They started uh, doing things right. Somehow along the ways, they were brought into alignment to uh, church business, the way they do business, the way denominations do business. And so when they were allowed to be brought into that uh, mindset, that old wineskin, they began to forget the original way that they did things. They, they, they began to, to get away from how the Lord wanted them to operate. And so I know some of these men personally, when they started, that's how they were. They were good men. They were faithful, but they became lukewarm. They became businessmen, became puppeteers. That, that is the problem we have. And uh, of course, now it's just a sham. Now, People are going to the Bible schools and they're going there to learn the business and how to profit. So this is a sham right now. And the problem is bigger than people realize. And the reason I say that is because the people that sit in many of these churches, Baptists, Methodists, Episcopals, Catholics, um, even Charismatics, Pentecostals, they are uh, in the same boat. You can literally go throughout the country and pick the churches that are really experiencing true revival. I mean, they are just sprinkled throughout the country, very, very few. And the reason is that if the leader, the pastor, if he is on fire for the Lord, if he is hungry, if he is humble, if he is faithful and obedient, the church will become like him. The church will never become more than the leader is. So, I mean, you can imagine if the pastor is lukewarm, if he is not in, in passionately in love with Jesus, if he is not a man of prayer that prays and fasts, if he is not sold out to the Lord, can you imagine then what is going forth from the pulpits? What What is being preached? And so this is the problem that we are facing. We are facing a crisis in the church. All these things that are going around us, the problems 
we are seeing in the land, the political problems, the moral problems, the decadence, the corruption, all these things, Sheila, is a result of the church. It's, it's the fault of the church. The fault of all this stuff sits right there at the doorstep of the church. Because every if, if the church were doing its job, I believe that this nation would not be where it is right now. You're so right. And something that's pressed in my spirit and been tugging at my heart for months now is, I think even tonight as we're doing this program, I think there's literally billions on this planet who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. The end is coming. The clock is running out of time. The flashing signs are all here. And it grieves my spirit that billions are going to be cast into a devil's hell. Why are we in the West not burning with the holy zeal that Jesus Christ is coming back and the door of the ark is about to shut, Augusto? How do people sit comfortably in their seeker-friendly churches and not be burdened for the lost? Why is there not an urgency for these people to see people saved? What is the church doing with all this money and resources? And they don't even have a conviction for the lost, and there's no real hunger to see the lost saved. That greatly disturbs me. Well, it starts with leadership. It begins with leadership and ends with the leadership. And I have said this many, many times. You get what you preach. Okay, If the pulpit is not preaching conviction, is not preaching a, a passion for the lost, is not preaching holiness, is not preaching the presence of the Lord, is not preaching healing, is not preaching deliverance, you get what you preach. Okay, So what are they preaching? Well, the churches are preaching wealth. They're preaching prosperity. Okay, And so that's what the people are focused on. They're focused on blessing and prosperity but the problem is that that is material and material prosperity will only take you so far material blessing will only take you so far the problem with with mankind is a spiritual problem and we cannot fix spiritual problems with natural remedies it requires spiritual solutions and so the spiritual solution to the malady of mankind resides in the, in the finished work of the cross, what Jesus Christ did at the cross of Calvary. So if this is not preached, if the people are not taught who they are and their authority in Christ, if they're not taught about these things, they're not taught about prayer, they're not taught that they need to fast, they're not taught that they have the, the ability to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to win the lost. If they're not told these things, and they're and these things are preached from the pulpits, we're, the people are not going to do them, Sheila. They're not going yeah. to do them. And that is what is happening. See, these people that the Lord brings to the to other conferences, these are, these are those people. These are those people that are fed up with the church, they know that they cannot find anything there, that they cannot be fed. Their spiritual person cannot be fed. They know that they're dying on the vine there. They cannot get anything of substance. And so they have just stopped going there altogether. And so there is a lot of people. There are many people outside the church walls. And they are looking, they, they, you know, if you, go, if you listen to some of these preachers, they say they don't love the Lord. They left the church. I would, I would dare say the contrary. They loved the Lord so much, and they, and they had to leave the church because they couldn't stand stay there any longer. I mean, they were dying. They're tired of this theologically shallow experience. And I, Augusto, I believe God wants to pour out a spirit, but the present religious wineskin structure we have, it can't contain the outpouring that is fixing to take place. And I really think many of these high places have to come down, be pulled down, and really take place in the Christian church if it wants to be part of what the Lord is about to do here in the world. I really believe in my spirit there's a reformation that is coming. It'll impact and transform cities and nations. But the thing is, unless there's a shift, I really, and, and that actually springboards into the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails month, the scripture tells us. If we have any hope of impacting our cities and changing the course of things, I really think it starts with our prayer closet, doesn't it? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Prayer is the backbone of the life of a Christian. A Christian lives and falls on prayer. If a Christian doesn't pray, he's not going to have a life with the Lord. And it's all about the Word of God and prayer. Prayer is to a believer in Christ like oxygen is to a human being. We cannot exist without prayer. We were created for prayer and worship. You know, I, I, I have done a lot of teaching on, on worship. A lot of Christians do not understand. Most of them don't know how to pray. They may spend a lot of time praying, but the prayers that, that they're doing are wrong. They're selfish prayers. They go pray with a long sh- shopping list, you know, of needs. I need this, <laughs> this, this, this. And, you know, and, and then they complain when their prayers are not answered. Well, you know, before you get on the railroad tracks, you better make sure that you got the caboose behind you. (laughs) People don't realize that they may pray and they may do this and that, but the Lord is really not involved because they're doing it wrong. And so one of the things I teach the people is, is worship. The majority of people don't know how to worship. They, they were never taught about worship. They, they considered it a weakness, in unnecessary, something that they wonder why would they have to do that. And so because of this, there is a lack of true prayer warriors among men. Now that is beginning to change, and the Lord is beginning to raise up warriors, prayer warriors, uh, mighty men of God. Worship is very powerful, and the enemy knows that. That is why we see all these, you know, rock concerts and all these uh, music concerts uh, the enemy has for his people. Music is the one thing that is able to bring a human being into alignment, complete alignment, body, soul, and spirit, all three. Music can do that. This is the reason why when people... Uh, like a song, when they like a specific song, you can see them begin to tap their feet. They begin to tap their feet and they begin to whack their head, you know, and just shake their head. And then before they even realize it, their body begins to move at the rhythm of the music. It, it seems like their body, their soul, and their spirit get into, get into alignment. And so if you apply that principle to a spiritual song, a godly song, a song that uh, glorifies the Lord. It allows you, it allows me, it allows the believers to get into alignment. It, it brings us into a mood, if you will, into a mood of, uh, of worshiping the Lord. One of the things I say to people is have some songs that you really love, that you really enjoy as part of your, of your, of your prayer time. You know, play them songs until you get into, a, into an atmosphere of worship and prayer. You know, and uh, it will do wonders. It will do wonders for you. I know, for example, in my case, um, when I minister, I like to have a certain kind of music, certain kind of songs. Not every song will do it. I once went to preach to this church <laughs> up in uh, in Idaho, and uh, it's kind of a funny story, but it's, I think you'll get a laugh out of it. And um, I went to I went to minister there, you know, and a, a small church, not a big church. And uh, I, I shared a message, and at the end, I told uh, the, the sound booth, I told him, I said, could you play some, you know, nice music, for, uh, worship music, so I can minister to the people? Well, <laughs> he put on a kind of a, you know, a very country song, kind of a dull country song oh, that no. I guess, <laughs> I guess he liked it, you know, I, because I didn't, I didn't tell him to put a song that he liked. I said, put a song, a nice worship song for ministry. <laughs> so I tell him, I say, I say, Hey, no, 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 that, that won't do. I said, do you have another one better than that? And, uh, <laughs> he took that one off and he put another one just as bad. Oh, no. And I told him, I said, I said, okay, forget it. I don't want, I don't need no music. <laughs> I'll do it without music. And so I began to minister to the people without music, which is fine. I've done it many times. If you don't have good music, it's better not to have any. 
I love the song that's at the beginning of your show. Who sings that song, Augusto? Misty Edwards, that's her name. My soul longs for you. There's got to be a specific a sound in the song that, you know, I, I it, it does something to my spirit and it makes me worship. See, so when you find that song, that music that makes you worship, okay, that gets you going, it, it's like the it's like the spiritual juices inside your, your inner man, okay? They begin to flow. They begin to flow. It's, it's just like everything, you know? Uh, worship is like, it's like everything. Prayer is like everything, you know? If prayer becomes a dull, dragged out, you know, a rehearsal, you know, exercise, it, it, it's not good. It's not good. Prayer has to be a relationship where you have a love relationship with the Father, with a with a with a with a Messiah, with a Lord, and then out of that love relationship, okay, that is how prayers come forth, and you begin to pray from your spirit, not from your head, okay. Mental prayers are not going to cut it. The Lord said it has to be out of our spirit. He said, out of your spirit shall flow rivers of living waters. So prayers have to come out of our spirit, spirit to spirit. God is a spirit, and they that worship him have to worship him in the spirit and in truth. And so this is a key element that people need to understand. They need to comprehend that worship has to come from their spirit, and prayer has to come also from there. We begin, of course, we begin with our mind. We begin with our soul. Okay, that, that is how we begin. We begin with, with praying the Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven. But as we progress, okay, as we progress in the prayer, eventually we lean into, it, into the Spirit. And as you begin to pray in the Spirit, that is how you begin to pierce the veil. You have to follow the leading of the spirit. You cannot go through the veil in the natural. And, and some people, uh, Sheila, pray the most beautiful prayers. Their most beautiful prayers, they sound right, very beautiful. I've, I have heard some beautiful prayers, but I have not felt the anointing. We don't realize that prayer is the greatest honor and privilege we have as children of God. And we should think of it as a really rare opportunity and a great, the greatest honor to meet with the creator of our universe. It's you alluded to it being a spiritual exercise, but it's really our spirit contacting the father and prayers are heavenly father's invitation to visit with him. And out of all the things what did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them? Well, they wanted to know how to pray. So what is the most important things on prayer? Because that's one of the things I get a lot of emails on is, you know, Sheila, I don't really know how to pray. I mean, because it sounds, you just go pray. I mean, it sounds easy. But what are the most important things for maybe the listeners that really don't know how to pray to pray effectively? Well, first of all, you have to have a prayer closet. That means you have to take time and, uh, and you have to have a place where you meet with the Lord every day. That is the most important part of it. You have to be very, very uh, disciplined about it and you have to be very persistent about it. Persistent will, will, pay, you know, will pay dividends where giftings will not. Somebody, like I said before, may be very gifted, very eloquent in praying, but uh, they are not persistent. They don't have a prayer closet, and therefore they don't do it every day. It's not so. The first thing is every day you have to have a prayer closet where you meet with a father. For a, you know, a while, if, if, if a person cannot pray for an hour or two, that then they should need, man, they can pray for 15, 30 minutes. And um, if you do 15, 30 minutes with all of your heart, uh, it, it will be good. So you can start there. The second thing is you have to, uh, when a person prays, the person has to be completely focused on the Lord. The person has to give this 
this time with the Lord, his undivided attention. A person cannot be praying and, and texting. I mean, you know, uh, we do that. I mean, if if we have already done our, our time with, you know, in our prayer closet, we have already, I mean, then you could pray like that, you know, additional. You can go out and, you know, in your car, you, you can talk to the Father for a few minutes, you know. You can do that, but but that cannot replace, that cannot replace your time in your prayer closet where you are in your secret place talking to the Father in secret. So this is a, a must if you're going to develop your prayer life. And uh, so that's number two. First, you have to have a prayer closet. Secondly, and, and, and do it and do it every day, do it consistently and persistently. And secondly, a person has to have their undivided attention, uh, uh, you know, give their undivided attention to God. God will not give a person his undivided attention if the person does not give the Lord his or her undivided attention. It's just that simple. Uh, if, you, if you're serious and you're dedicated and you're focused, the Lord will hear your prayer. And he, he, you know, he will be there with you. Then I would say, thirdly, the person has to have a model prayer. Because one of the things I hear a lot of people um, say to me uh, many times, Sheila, is I, I run out of things to pray. I run out of things to pray. So what do I pray? Well, what I do is, and I recommend this to people, you know, I use the prayer model that the Lord gave his disciples, the Our Father. The Our Father is a model of prayer. It's not something, it's not a prayer to be parroted, repeated again and again, like Catholics do in the rosary. That is not the purpose of the Our Father. It was a model, a model of prayer, the way to pray. So let's take a look at the model, okay, the Our Father. Jesus said and taught him, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. That means we have a heavenly Father. He is our Father. He's our Papa. And that's the first problem people have. They do not look at the Lord as their Father. They don't see him as a Father. Some Christians have a problem seeing God as their Father because they have a, they had a rotten Father. They had a bad Father that never loved them, never affirmed them, never uh, told them how, you know, how, how proud they were of their son or their daughter. So they have a very bad picture of the, of their, of the father. So that has to be healed. That has to be taken care of those issues because our heavenly father, he's a wonderful father. He's a great father. And so many people project the image that they have of their earthly father onto their heavenly father. And so that is the first thing that has to be dealt with, you know, because he is our heavenly father. So our father who art in heaven, we have to have that kind of relationship with him, not a slave master relationship. Okay. Not a servant master. That is true. We are servants. But we are also sons and daughters of the Most High. We are in the family of the Lord. We are in the family of God. So we are children, the children of the Most High. As children of the Most High, we have access to His presence. You see? So these things have to be learned. And this is one of the things that we are trying to teach the people uh, during our series, Piercing the Veil. Give, you know, make them understand their identity. Who are you? Who are we? We, you know, we are not paupers. We are not uh, bums. No, we were, but now we are the children of the Most High. We are the sons of the living God. And so as sons and daughters, we come to him and say, Abba, Father, who art in heaven. And then we begin to, you know, glorify his name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be thy name. We glorify his name. He has many names. He, he is uh, our provider, Jehovah Jireh. He is our, our healer, Jehovah Rapha. 
He is our shepherd, Jehovah Arohi. He is our peace, Jehovah Shalom. He is our presence. He is always with us, Jehovah Sama. All the titles of the Lord, all he has many, many, many different names throughout scriptures. And so you can pray each one of those names. You can talk about uh, you can talk to him about all those things according to your needs, you know. And then there are scriptures that you can quote, you can learn for all those different qualities of the Most High. And then comes your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, the kingdom of heaven. Come, your kingdom come. And, you know, and each one of these layers of prayer, I mean, you can spend, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes there you can, or more. In each one of those layers, you, you can spend a lot of time. Like on the names of the Father, hallowed be thy name. You can spend a whole hour there just worshiping him for each one of his attributes, thanking him, you see. Why did the Lord told his disciples, pray thy kingdom come? Well, could it be because in his kingdom, there is all these attributes are in his kingdom? Peace, love, joy, healing, blessing, his glory, his kabod, all these things are in his kingdom. This is the reason why when Jesus came, he told his disciples, go preach the gospel, and say the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of God is here. It has arrived. What do you mean the kingdom of heaven has arrived? Yeah, we bring the kingdom of heaven with us. The kingdom of heaven is within you. That's what the Lord told his disciples. The kingdom of heaven is within you. You cannot say it's over here. And, you know, and, and give him an address. So then, no, the kingdom of heaven is within you. If you are a true child of God. And so when we go somewhere, we bring the kingdom of God with us. And so thy kingdom come. Okay. That means we are asking you, Father, that your kingdom be manifested here in our lives, here in my family, here in my own walk with you, in my own life. My, thy kingdom come here where I work. Your kingdom come here in this city. You see? And when we pray thy kingdom come, what we're really saying is, may your healing come. May your blessing come. May your deliverance come. See, all these prosperity preachers, you know, prosperity, Sheila, is included in the kingdom of God. It's included. They don't have to emphasize it and dwell on it and preach that. The, the blessing and the prosperity, all of that is included in the kingdom of God. But that's why the Lord said, seek not these things, but seek ye first the kingdom. And all these things shall be added unto you. So this is the problem. Of the people. The people emphasize, I need this, I need that. Well, Jesus said, Pray thy kingdom come. Because if his kingdom comes, these things are going to be added unto you. Healing is going to come, peace is going to come, love is going to come, prosperity is going to come. All these things are going to come. Protection is going to come. It's going to come. When his kingdom comes, all this thing comes. And so, you know, this is why it is so important to pray your kingdom come. Your kingdom come upon the, my house, my family, my city. Your kingdom come upon this nation. If all over this nation, people would begin to pray thy kingdom come and begin to come against all this ungodliness, I guarantee you, we would see, we would not be seeing all this mess that we are seeing. And we would be seeing more righteousness. We would be seeing godly leaders. Why, why do we have ungodly leaders sitting in the White House and in the government, in the, you know, in the Washington, D.C.? Why? The reason is because the people put him there. And I'm not talking to people by just voting. 
that people put him there because of their lack of prayer and lack of devotion and lack of consecration to God. So people have there as the rulers in this nation and in every other nation of the world. They have the fruit of their of their of their prayers. They have the fruit of their walk right there. And that is the reason why. You use that word righteousness right there and the imputed righteousness of Christ, which comes through his shed blood, is what gives us the boldness to approach his throne of grace. But Personal righteousness is also really crucial, Augusto. If you look in, whether it's Psalm 16, 18, John 15, 7, if people have sin reigning in their life, it really does give the devil a legal right to block, to object to your prayers and present his case against you in the spiritual court of the law of heaven. We have to be sure that we have a pure walk before the Lord. And I think that's that's where repentance is so important. Well, that's the other thing, you know. That's the other part of the prayer of the of the Our Father. It's repentance. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you know. What is God's will? Is God's will uh, same-sex marriage? Is God's will uh, aborting, you know, babies in the wombs? Is God's is that God's? Is God's will for the, all these hor- horrific things to be happening in uh, in this nation and on, on many parts of the world? Is that God's will? So we pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is another misconception, Sheila, that people have. We have talked about this in times past. Is many things that happen, it's not God's will. So God's will only you know, manifests on the earth if his people will pray. If his people will pray, repent, like in Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, notice he says, my people. He doesn't say, if the wicked people repent. No, no, he doesn't say that. He says, if my people. See? So it starts with a church. It starts with his people, with believers. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. See, so your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is it in heaven? Well, in heaven, there is no no crime. There's no murder. There's no evil. There's no hatred. In heaven, there is no bloodshed of innocent children. In heaven, there is no <laughs> none of this lustful uh, same-sex, uh, you know, men with men and women with men. I mean, you know, as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. And this is the model. This is the model people need to pray. Give us today my daily bread. You know, give me your daily bread. Give me a piece of your heavenly manna. Give me your presence. Give me your word. Feed me. Feed my heart. Feed my soul. I am hungry. Feed me, Lord. Feed me. You know, give me my daily bread. And then forgive me my sins as I forgive those that have sinned against me. And you see, there you see a two-fold repentance. Okay? First, repentance for my sins. I repent of my sins. But not just that. I repent of my sins just like I forgive those that have sinned against me. That implies forgiveness. So forgiveness cannot come for you as a person unless you're willing to give forgiveness to others that have offended you. Those two things go hand in hand. A lot of people want to be forgiven of their sins. But they don't want to forgive others of what they have done to them. So this is something that is very crucial in prayers. Many prayers that are going forth from people right now in this country and many countries of the world, all over, it, I, it don't matter what country it is, all over the world, this happens everywhere. A lot of the prayers going forth to God from people are not being heard. Because, number one, they're not repenting of their sins. And then, number two, 
they are not forgiving those others that have offended them or hurt them. Forgiveness is not an option or a choice. It's God says we have to do it. Yes, but see, it becomes an obstacle. For example, someone may, may be a good repenter and may repent well of what sins, you know, he or she has committed, but is unwilling to forgive someone else that may have done something against them or, or said something that offended them. And so this pride, this arrogance, is a hindrance. It's a hindrance to the Lord hearing the prayers. Some people are going through stuff. I, I, I get emails all the time people all over. They're going through stuff. And yet they don't seem to, the Lord does not seem to <laughs> to deliver them out of them things. And a month goes by and two months go by and three months go by and a year goes by and nothing. Sometimes the Lord delays his answer. But when a person goes through a season like that, that a year goes by and sometimes two and three or more and years go by and nothing. Well, I think it's time to look at yourself what is what are you doing that is not pleasing the lord because definitely something is wrong there's something wrong there because god answers prayers i think we need to take a look at ourselves and our own hearts to see what thoughts are also going through our mind because i guarantee you augusto the reason that people allow certain things to creep into their minds that are contrary to God's principles, because that really does render your prayers ineffective too. If the enemy is planting things in your mind to steal your faith and rob you of your provision and the blessings, you had mentioned hindrances. The enemy plants things in people's hearts and minds really to neutralize the power of God through and one of the biggest things I think it's through is unbelief and it, it, what's so amazing to me is unbelief in this world is kind of masqueraded as this sort of common sense things you know and I think that's really dangerous this word well it's just common sense right yes unbelief is really any time that we cannot believe what the what the word says what the Lord says there are different kinds of people. There are different kinds of believers. One of them is they walk in the spirit. They walk by faith, not by sight. That is the kind the Bible tells us to be. A believer that walks by faith, not by sight. However, there, if that is one kind of believer, there is then another kind of believer, which is the ones that walk by sight, not by faith. The ones that are led by the five senses not by what they believe, not by faith. And so that is what we call carnal Christians. Carnal Christians have a problem believing for what they have not experienced through their five senses. They have, it's what we could call sense faith. They can only have faith and believe in what they see, what they touch, what they hear, what they taste, and so forth. And so this is the kind of Thomas kind of faith doubting thomas you know unless i see it unless i put my finger in your wounds i cannot believe that you were raised from the dead right that is the thomas kind of faith and that is not a very good kind of faith that it was not very good kind of faith you know when jesus christ yeshua walked on the face of the earth he was amazed at a couple of things and they both had to do with either faith or the lack of it. When the centurion came and he, of course, asked the, the Lord to heal his servant, I mean, Jesus was, was willing to go with him to his home and he stopped them and said, you don't need to come to my home. Speak but the word and my servant will be healed. And when he heard that, when the Messiah heard that, the scripture says he was amazed at his faith, because he had never seen anything like it. So that is the only scripture where the Lord was amazed at his kind of faith. The other scripture where the Lord was amazed is when he saw unbelief. He says he was amazed 
at their unbelief and lack of faith. Because they could not believe in spite of all the miracles, all the healings, all the signs and wonders that they had seen. They still could not believe. They still could not trust the Lord. Without faith, the Bible says in Hebrews, it is impossible to please the Lord. Because faith and trust are synonymous. They mean the same thing, basically. When a person has faith in the Lord, in what the Bible says, that person has trust in him. Jesus was never impressed with how much people knew or how many laws they were able to keep. He was always impressed whenever he saw faith in people. And what did he he say to the centurion? He said, I have not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. So God delights to see faith in his people, doesn't he? That is all he's looking for. When he, and there's another scripture where he said, Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he returns? See? So he's looking for faith. But when I say he's looking for faith, he's looking for people that can trust him. He's looking for people that can believe what he says. And, uh, you know, that word believe is much, much more than what people think it is. Just believe. Just believe in the Lord. And your whole family shall be. Just believe. Well, that word believe, it implies much more. That word believe actually implies listening to what he says and applying what he's saying. Applying, acting on it. Faith without works is dead. So if somebody says that he has faith, he reads the word. He reads the scripture. Okay. He, he says, I believe it. I have faith. But he doesn't act on it. He hasn't really believed anything. It's intellectual believism. It's not really faith. It's not really trust. You, you cannot separate trust from faith. You cannot separate action from faith. Because faith without action is dead. So faith requires action. That means if, if there is a scripture that, that you believe, okay, I believe in that and such and such a scripture, okay, then your next step is you have to act on it. This is the reason why whenever someone declares something with their mouth, okay, I believe that it has to be followed by an action. Okay, it's, it's the same with the person. I love you, Jesus. I believe in you, Lord. Okay, then why don't you obey what he says? Mm, that's good. Why don't you do what he's telling you to do? In the book of Revelation, the seven messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor, you notice the words of the Lord there. He never says, I know what you believe. No. He never says that. What are the words that he says? He says, I know your works. I know your works. Mm. I know everything you do. And don't do. You see? Because it is very easy, Sheila, to say, I believe. If all people do is believe, then people become intellectuals. See, and that is the problem that I try to share with the people. And sometimes they misinterpret me and think I am being critical and so forth. But what I'm trying to tell them is, if all we do as Christians is talk and say we believe, but what are we doing? What are our actions saying? You see, what are we going to do with what we know? All this revelation and all this information is good. We need that. But if we just live it as that, as information and new revelation and new insight, and that is all we have, 
in our head and in our souls. We are going to become intellectual Christians. That we have a big head. We have a lot of stuff in our head. But what are we going to do with that information? What are we? We have to act on it. You see, what are we going to do? What is the plan? And this is where the apostolic comes in, Sheila. This is where the apostolic comes in. What are we going to do with that? Okay, now that we have this information, what are we going to do with this thing to counteract it, to uh, stop it, to deactivate it? What what are we going to do about this? Okay, so if we do not supply that aspect, if we don't give those answers, all this knowledge will become fruitless. I mean, it, it's good, but we haven't acted on any of it. And so this is the whole point of the teachings of the Messiah. Faith without works is dead. Prayer is where we come with into his presence. It's a privilege. It's a great honor to be called the sons of the Most High where he gives us the ability to come and talk to him face to face. So what, what greater, what greater honor, what greater privilege. And so we should not take this for granted. Once that you have your prayer closet built, you have a place in your home. It doesn't have to be any specific place. It could be your bedroom. It doesn't have to be a closet. It's a place where you meet with him. It could be anywhere. It's your prayer closet. It's a place where you meet with him. Once you have these things already down pat, then you begin to get to other levels. Then you begin to, you need to understand who you are in him. Who is he? And who are you? Those are the two greatest revelations there are. Who he is and who am I? Because if we don't understand who he is and we do not understand who we are in him, we are not going to get very far in prayer. No, we're not. And we got to be careful, as it says in Philippians 4, 6, 7, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We see it over and over in the scriptures, even Jeremiah 29, 11, 15. Go read that one, folks. That's a very, very powerful one in 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It's time to get serious about your prayer closet, folks. And it's time to take Jesus' mother's advice today. It's very serious. What did she say? She says, do what he tells you to do. It's time to get serious about God, folks. Augusto, thank you so much for coming on and sharing such, I believe, vital information for the listeners, especially in the time we live. In the waning moments, would you please lead our listeners today into a prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all these precious listeners. Lord, they are all in different uh, stages in their walk with you. And I ask you, wonderful Father, that you would uh, encourage them, that you would strengthen them, and that you would uh, heal them. Many of them are suffering in their bodies, that you would touch their bodies and heal them, and that you would give them and grant them a hunger for you like they have never had in their lives. I ask you, Father, that you would help them to build their prayer closets, that you would help them to become more disciplined in their prayer life, that you would give them a love and a passion for you, and you would draw them with your cords of love, Lord, that they will just succumb, Lord, in, the, in, in, in your arms. And I ask you, Father, that whatever it is that they're going through, whatever it is that they're facing, that they know that you and them together, they're able to overcome anything that the enemy can throw their way. And so I pray shalom over them. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you, Augusto. And thank you, Augusto, for coming on the show. And we are certainly looking forward to the next event that you have. Again, folks, I want you to bookmark theappearance.com. Augusto, thank you so much for coming on tonight. 
Thank you for having me, Sheila. My pleasure, Augusto. Folks, that was the amazing apostolic minister, Augusto Perez. He is one of my favorites. And what an incredible teaching that was. Folks, do send Augusto an email. Let him know you thank him for his amazing teaching today and that amazing prayer. So powerful, that prayer. And really just reach out to him and and thank him for all the incredible anointed teaching that he does. We really are truly blessed to have someone like Augusto that comes by and gives this incredible teaching. So do send him an email. We have an amazing lineup this week. Tomorrow we have Pastor James Manning from the Manning Report stopping by. And in the second half, Pastor Stephen Anderson. That's going to be a fantastic show, folks. Thank you again for tuning into the program tonight. Good night and God bless.